0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Roussas John Rushduni. Narrated by Shelby Luke.
1: This is a Reconstructionist Radio Podcast. Please visit chalcedon.edu to download this book and many others. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My name is Shelby Luke and I will be reading from Roots of Reconstruction by Roussus John Rushdoony. Jurisdiction by Christ or by Caesar. Chalcedon Position Paper Number 7 Words reveal our faith, tell us about our world, and manifest our presuppositions. A particularly important word is jurisdiction. It comes from two Latin words, jus, law, and deco, say. The one who has jurisdiction is the one who declares the law, whose word is the binding, authoritative word for that area or sphere of life and thought. Jurisdiction is an essentially religious fact. It tells us who is the god over a particular sphere or area. It reveals to us who declares the law for that domain. In other words, it shows us who is Lord. The whole premise and affirmation of Scripture is that the earth is the Lord's, that because He made all things, ordained and orders all things, God the Lord is the only Lord and lawgiver over all heaven and earth, over every aspect of creation. Exodus nine twenty nine, Deuteronomy ten twelve 12-14, Psalms 24, 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 26. All creation thus is under God's jurisdiction, who declares, quote, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images, unquote. Isaiah 42, 8. God's jurisdiction is total, and He shares it with none. Men can only exercise valid authority and dominion under God, in faithfulness to His law, and in terms of God's sovereignty and kingdom. He alone is the Lord. The most used term for Jesus Christ in the New Testament is, in fact, Lord. It was the essence of paganism that it reserved sovereignty to man and this world. The gods were powerful spirits who could be used, had to be placated, and could be abandoned if they failed man. For the pagan, the gods were powers to deal with, but the sovereignty and the choice of gods remained with man. The state reserved to itself the right to recognize or to abolish gods. The Roman Senate thus could make gods at will by acts of senate. Thus, even the gods were under the jurisdiction of the state, and their legal or licit existence depended upon the state. It was for this reason that conflict between Christ and the Caesars was inescapable, between the church and the pagan doctrine of the state. It was a conflict waged in Asia, Africa, and Europe. The doctrines of Scripture required and require Christians to declare that Caesar is under Christ's jurisdiction, not Christ under Caesar's. It is a serious error on the part of scholars that leads them to view the situation in Europe after the fall of Rome as a collapse. It was indeed a collapse of Roman statism, but not of civilization. Rather, it was a movement towards a new foundation. How radical that movement was is apparent in many and virtually all areas. To cite one alone, the family had been under statist law to a far-reaching degree, as Carl Z. Zimmerman in Family and Civilization, 1947, showed clearly. With the fall of Rome and the breaking up of European forms of barbarian paganism, a different pattern emerged. As Jean-Louis Flandrin has pointed out, quote, Christianity seems to have brought about the disappearance of the powers of the state over the child and thereby increased the responsibilities of the parents as regards their maintenance and education. These responsibilities were, at the same time, shared between the father and the mother. Families in former times, Kinship, Household, and Sexuality in Early Modern France, page 176, Cambridge University Press, 1979. Today, of course, the state claims increasing powers over the family. The children must be state-controlled and educated, according to many. The parents must be under state controls, and some even suggest the state licensing of births and legislation towards this goal has been proposed in two state legislatures. Whereas laws against non-marital sexual relations are relaxed or abolished, Current legislation reaches into the marital bedroom to govern ostensible rape by a husband. In one area after another, the state advances its claims to total jurisdiction. In Florida, a literacy test required of all high school students in order to get a diploma was ruled out by the courts as discriminatory. It discriminated against illiteracy and thus unconstitutional. A federal judge in Detroit, Michigan in July 1979 ruled that school districts in teaching English must recognize the existence of a child's quote, home language, unquote, or ghetto English. Of course, courts have ruled on the length of hair, the kind of clothing students wear, and much, much more. Clearly, the state increasingly manifests the fact that its fundamental faith is that no limits exist on the jurisdiction of the state other than self-imposed ones. The self-discipline, meanwhile, grows less and less as the state grows more and more total, or totalitarian, in its claimed jurisdiction. Jeff A. Schnepper, a tax lawyer and professor, gives fearful examples of this totalitarian jurisdiction in Inside the IRS, how internal revenue works you over. Stein and Day, 1978. Because all heaven and earth are God's creation, and because man is created in God's image, God is the great and inescapable fact. The knowledge of God is inescapable knowledge. When men in unrighteousness or injustice suppress or deny that knowledge, they cannot evade the necessity of God. And so they declare or create new gods in their image, or in terms of their imagination. Romans 1, 18-25 The most powerful and most deadly of these new or false gods has, through the centuries, been the state. The state, as a false god, claims total jurisdiction and it declares itself sovereign or god. It is, in terms of ancient paganism, Hegel, and modern political thought, God walking on earth. Men, having denied the true God, cannot escape having a god, and the modern state is the great Baal or Lord of modern man. The cry of modern man is a political cry, quote, O Baal, hear us, unquote, and save us 1 Kings eighteen twenty six. Here is idolatry, and too long the church has been silent in the face of it or has urged its people to submit to Baal in the name of Jesus Christ, to its idolatry, it has added blasphemy. The question of jurisdiction is thus not only an urgently important one, but a religious one. Before World War I, in Ruling Case Law, Volume 7, 1915, the editors, working on humanistic premises, but with a more conservative bent than the law has today, admitted that perhaps no more difficult question exists in law than the question of the jurisdiction of courts. They grounded the source of jurisdiction in the constitutional form of government in the three departments, legislative, executive, and judicial, plus, quote, certain inherent powers which of right belong to all courts, unquote. Thus, law, as it emanates from the state, is the source of all jurisdiction. From such a premise, the death of God is a logical conclusion, and the exclusion of all claims by Christians to any freedom from the state in terms of God's word is a necessary consequence. The humanistic state excludes God from any and all jurisdiction. Any and all liberties permitted to the church, to the Christian school, and to the Christian himself are at the sovereign grace of the state. Thus, the Internal Revenue Service claims the right to establish, by its rules and regulations, what constitutes a valid church or Christian school. Such a claim is an assertion of jurisdiction. It is an aspect of the totalitarian claims of the modern state. In one area or another, men claim humanistic, quote, rights, unquote, or jurisdiction. The abortionist claim that a woman has sovereign rights over her body and her unborn child. The homosexual claims that where his action with other consenting persons is at issue, he alone has jurisdiction. In one area after another, modern man in defiance of God claims an independent jurisdiction. The result is both moral anarchy and impotence. With more and more individuals demanding a moral jurisdiction in defiance of God's law, the social scene becomes increasingly lawless, the family declines, vocations lose their discipline, schools do not educate, churches confirm sinners in their sins, and men are at war one with another. The state gains thereby a strong argument for asserting a protecting jurisdiction over a lawless scene as the working god of society. But the state's claims to any jurisdiction apart from God are lawless claims, and its laws are godless, lawless laws. As Augustine pointed out, in The City of God, without faith in the Lord, the state becomes no more than a larger band of robbers, a super mafia, a refugee from the Soviet Union, Yuri Broken, and hustling on Gorky Street, dealt with the question, is there a Soviet Mafia? Thus, quote, there certainly is a Soviet Mafia, and it's organized a hell of a lot better than the American Mafia, but it has another name. It's called the Communist Party. We wouldn't dream of trying to compete with it, unquote. If God is dead, what is wrong with the Mafia and its claims to jurisdiction? If God is dead, then we are beyond good and evil, and Nietzsche held, and no one has any moral basis for anything, and thus the state can claim any and all jurisdiction it pleases. This, of course, is exactly what the state is doing. It calls itself, quote, sovereign, unquote, or lord, and few object. It claims more and broader jurisdiction daily, and the protests are few, and the resistors are condemned all too many churchmen believe that submission to the state's idolatrous claims is a virtue chalcedon's leaflet quote, can we tithe our children Unquote. fell into the hands of one man who reacted with amazement to the statement that the state does not own the child and that any such claim is paganism how could any minister think that way he wrote quote, what's this another cult Unquote. Such a reaction is not surprising. God's jurisdiction has been handed over to the world by all too many churchmen, and any idea that Jesus Christ has crowned rights over all things, over every area of life and thought, sounds strange in their ears. Christ's jurisdiction is limited to the church and to the soul of man, and very feebly in both places. But Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 9-11 he alone is sovereign. There are no limits to his jurisdiction nor to his law word. His law and jurisdiction stand as long as heaven and earth. Matthew five seventeen through nineteen. Indeed, quote, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Unquote, Luke sixteen seventeen. Because the Triune God is the eternal the Everlasting One, and there is no end to His deity, life, and jurisdiction. To limit the Lord's jurisdiction is to limit Him, which means to deny that He is God. To believe in the Lord thus requires us to assert His crown rights over all things and the total jurisdiction of His law word. Our Lord declares, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, eighteen The word translated as power is exusia, the right to act, the rightful power, dominion, authority, and rule over all things. In example, jurisdiction. This power in Christ is absolute and unrestricted. Man can only have delegated power, subject entirely to God and his word. The Lord does not exempt from his jurisdiction any man any state, nor any area. For us to do so is to deny him. Indeed, one Greek lexicon gives, as basic to the meaning of exousia, the word jurisdiction. Our Lord thus says, All jurisdiction is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he commands, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Our calling, thus, is not only to resist any and all usurpations of Christ's jurisdiction, but to go forth and bring all men and nations, every area and sphere of life and thought, into captivity to Jesus Christ as Lord, as Sovereign. All things in heaven and earth must be placed under His jurisdiction. This includes China, Russia, Britain, and the United States. It also includes you and me. We have no independent life nor jurisdiction. Quote, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it 1 corinthians four seven the assured word is this: quote, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for forever and ever Unquote. revelation eleven fifteen september nineteen seventy nine standards. A few ministers wrote recently to express limited appreciation for our stand against state control over Christian schools and churches. However, they advocated, quote, limited, unquote, state standards in order to, quote, ensure, unquote, quality education and to eliminate fraudulent groups. After all, one man asked, do you want another Jim Jones case? This is a statement repeatedly made, other men tell me. State controls are needed to prevent the kind of thing Jim Jones and the People's Temple represented. The sad fact is that Jim Jones had his work licensed at every needed point. Child care, everything. He was a friend of powerful political figures and a believer in state controls. If any state-controlled and cooperating church has existed in California, it was the People's Temple. It produced religion of about the same level and quality as the education in state schools. The goal of state standards is not quality. It is, first of all, state control. In trial after trial, it has been shown that the, quote, uncontrolled, unquote, Christian schools are superior, and their students test out far in advance of public school pupils. Second, the goal of the state standards is religious an example the imposition of another religion on christian schools the religion of humanity or humanism those christian schools which submit to state-imposed standards soon become inferior schools educationally and religiously the fight against statist controls is thus both a theological battle to god alone belongs dominion and a struggle for quality education If state standards are so good, why are the state schools so bad? If state standards are so beneficial, why not ask the state to provide standards for the church? Should Jesus Christ have applied for a license before preaching and teaching? Would any Sanhedrin then or now provide an acceptable standard? September 1979 The Family Calcedon Position Paper, Number 8 The modern age has created a new view of law. Law is seen as confronting two realms. The one realm, the public sphere, belongs to the state and its law and jurisdiction. The other sphere is the private realm, which is outside the law of the state. The distinction is a modern fiction created by the statist. Moreover, the right to define the extent of the public realm is reserved to the state. Naturally, the state has steadily increased its claims to the detriment of the private sphere, which has grown steadily smaller. Furthermore, the state feels free to redefine what is public and what is private. Abortion was until recently in the public sphere and legislated. Now, it is more or less transferred to the private sphere And a matter of opinion and private choice not legislation homosexuality has been largely transferred from the public sphere and legislative control to the private sphere and free choice attempts are underway to make a similar transfer from public to private with prostitution incest and bestiality at the same time other areas are being moved from the private to the public sphere the family especially children, the church and Christian school, medical practice, and much, much more. At the heart of the evil of this current definition of law is the arrogant claim of the state to be the sole source of public law, and the only definer thereof. This claim is as old as paganism, and yet it is fairly new in Christendom, and is a product of the humanism of the modern age. Christian civilization has recognized several realms of public law, and the most notable of these has been family law. Other spheres of public law have included church law, Christian school law, as in the medieval university and sense, merchant law, and more. The state held one sphere of public law among several, and it had no legitimate claim over other spheres. The triumph of Christianity was also the triumph over the ancient pagan equation of the state with all public law. It was the fundamental principle of the pagan state that it was the sole public sphere and its right to govern all of life, including the private, was full and free. Plato's Republic presupposes the right of the state to govern everything. This claim was not new to Plato. It was only his form... Of it that was different. The early church resisted this claim at every turn. It rejected the claim of Caesar over the church, family, school, and more. The rapid change of Europe after the fall of Rome was due more to faith than to collapse. Europe moved from the centralization and the totalitarianism of Rome to a decentralized society. Flandron has observed, quote, Christianity seems to have brought about the disappearance of the powers of the state over the child, and thereby increased the responsibilities of the parents as regards their maintenance and their education. These responsibilities were, at the same time, shared between the father and the mother." Jean-Louis Flandron, Families in Former Times, Kinship, Household, and Sexuality in Early Modern France, page 176, Cambridge University Press, New York, 1979. Step by step, society was altered to conform to the biblical pattern, to become the kingdom of God. This conformity was never more than dimly or at best moderately approximated at any point, but the benefits are with us still. In particular, the family became the central public sphere. In scripture, the family is the basic institution of society, to whom all the most basic powers are given, save one, the death penalty. Hence, the death penalty could not be executed on Cain. The family is man's basic government, his best school, and his best church. The decay of the family is the decay of civilization. To review briefly the basic powers which Scripture gives to the family, the first is the control of children. The control of children is the control of the future. This power belongs neither to church, nor state, nor to the school, but only to the family. This power is in the modern era, from the early 1800s, increasingly claimed by the state and its schools. Flandrin cited the disappearance of all status powers over the child with the triumph of Christianity. Today, with the retreat of Christianity into pietism, we see the increasing power of the state over both the child and the parents. Nothing will affect the disappearance of that power except a revival of biblical faith. Second, power over property is given in Scripture to the family. Modern man is used to thinking of two kinds of property control, private ownership and state ownership. The Bible affirms that, quote, the earth is the Lord's, unquote, and God gives control of property into the hands of the family, not the state, nor the individual. We have survivals of this form of property control in various community property laws, which mean family property. Community here has the older sense of family. Here too, however, the state claims vast powers to tax, confiscate, control, and in various other ways to play God over property. Community property laws are all too often simply a relic. The man sees the property as his, but as legally his wife's only because of a legal necessity, not because his thinking is familistic. Third, inheritance in scripture is exclusively a family power, governed by God's law. The eldest son gains a double portion, unless he is godless and or incompetent. The godly seed are blessed by an inheritance, and God's kingdom flourishes as a result. Now, however, the state claims prior right to the estate as the true elder son, offers to care for the surviving parent. By means of welfare, which is usually needed when the state claims its share, and makes itself the real executor of the estate. It supplants God's laws of inheritance with its own. Fourth, welfare is the responsibility of the family, beginning with the care of its own. Paul says plainly, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, 1 Timothy 5, 8. The family's duties towards fellow believers, strangers, widows, orphans, etc., are all strongly stressed in God's law. However, much neglected by the modern church, they are basic to Scripture. Paul declares, of all who do not care for their own, that such have, quote, denied the faith, unquote. Again, the state has moved into the area of welfare, not because of any godly or humanitarianism concern for people, but to gain power over man and society. Fifth, education, a basic power, is given by God to the family as its power and responsibility. The modern state claims the right to control and provide education, and it challenges the powers of the family in this area also. Education in the modern age is statist predominantly. Statist education in the U.S. has led to the highest illiteracy rate in its history. Today, the attack on the family is being stepped up. Humanistic statism sees control of the child and the family as basic to its drive towards totalitarianism. Every revolutionary movement sees control over the family and the child as central to its goal. The goal was set forth by Fidel Castro as the creation of a new man, a fundamentally humanistic, altruistic man, a perfectible man. The family must give way to the family of man. In a speech on July 26, 1960, Castro said, In a communist society, man will have succeeded in achieving just as much understanding, closeness, and brotherhood as he has on occasion achieved within the narrow circle of his own family to live in a communist society is to live without selfishness to live among the people and with the people as if every one of our fellow-citizens were really our dearest brother, unquote. cited in Morvan liner, children or the Revolution, Daycare in Cuba, page sixteen New York, Viking press. 1974. As Liner noted, quote, the Cuban early childhood education program, therefore, is only the first step on the road to educating the entire population, unquote. Page 6. Various groups in the U.S. and Europe have been producing manifesto after manifesto, setting forth, quote, children's rights, unquote, quote, youth rights, unquote, "...a child's bill of rights," and like pretentious documents. These are presented as the last word in liberalism and radicalism. They are, in fact, reactionary, going back to the worst in paganism and in decaying cultures and civilizations. These set forth the supposed right of the child or children to sexual freedom, which often means the "...right," to be exploited by others, the right to political power, an example, voting, office-holding, etc., the right to divorce themselves from their parents, and so on. These plans must be taken seriously. With the International Year of the Child, every state save one is issuing pronouncements which strike at the heart of the biblical doctrine of the family. The one exception is Alabama, where a superior governor who believes that Christian faith means profession with action has turned to Christians for the state's guidelines with respect to the child. What these revolutionary plans on the part of the enemies of the family call for is really the end of biblical laws governing the family. The abolition of the family and a, quote, new man, unquote, created by humanism and in terms of humanism's goals the sexual revolution was in large measure a revolt against god's laws concerning sexuality and the family what these revolutionary plans on the part of the enemies of the family call for is really the end of biblical laws governing the family the abolition of the family and a quote new man unquote created by humanism and in terms of humanism's goals The sexual revolution was in large measure a revolt against God's laws concerning sexuality and the family. Its goal was far less love and more obviously hatred, hatred of God and man alike. It called for the depersonalization of sex in order to depersonalize man, an example to dehumanize man in the name of humanism. Very early in the sexual freedom movement, One prominent advocate called for the same freedom demanded by the cynics of ancient Greece to copulate openly in public like dogs. When the state claims totally the public realm and denies any of it to the family and the church, it destroys man in the process by obliterating all other claims. It reduces man to a creature of the state under the public law of the state man becomes then public man even in his copulation but man is created in God's image Genesis 1 26-28 and neither man nor the state can alter that fact efforts to do so destroy those who attempt it history is littered with civilizations which undermine the family the family is God's ordained life for man and it endures December 1979. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus.
2: It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. The love he us by his pain, the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you. we show to Jesus, we need to praise His holy name, praise His name, lift up your voice and sing, praise His name and hear our sovereign King. Jesus Christ has set you free, set you free.